Hello and welcome back to the Tough Rugby Podcast. I'm pleased to announce we've got the two usual men in the studio, Harvey and Zachary. How are you boys? Are you feeling positive after your country's performances at the weekend? Optimistic or a bit pessimistic? Well, I mean, I'm pretty... You know what, we'll, we'll, we'll get on to it. I've got a lot of feelings. A part of me is happy because I'm right. Are we are we pre warning listeners that this might be passionate rants incoming? We're gonna Yeah, I'm just gonna try I'm trying to keep like a, a good distance from the mic so I respect the hearers or else it's gonna be very uncomfortable listening. <laughs> uh, it won't be as much of a rant from me this week. Um we said before that obviously playing Italy is a bit of a lose lose in some senses, but yeah, we'll get on to it. But no rants from me this week. It'll be you guys that can do your rants. You know, I got uh, I got my full full send last week. Uh, it's week about you know what I mean. Like we just take it take it in turns. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this week's pause is just going to be reviewing all the reviewing all the matches from the weekend. There's no games this weekend, so it gives us a good slot just to really dig into some big questions that have to be asked. Just in terms of some shout outs. Don't know how you boys are getting on with the fantasy. Uh, shout out to Lee Halfpenny, who did shaft me by getting concussed 10 minutes in. That was a guaranteed 50 points. Would have kicked them to victory. Might have even nicked a wee try. But <laughs> we keep moving. That was also, the same, man. Also, Craig Casey not coming off the bench to my super sub really does annoy me from Andy Farrell. But we'll get on to that. <laughs> shout out to John Telford, top of the league, but he won't be top of the league for much longer. Yeah. I'm just want to give up with a fantasy. Like it's just two weeks in a row. I've got two players with red cards. Then he screwed me. Like Owen Farrell just all of a sudden doesn't want to be a rugby player. Um, it's just yeah, I don't want to. But if I give up, then Matty takes me takes over, and like that's worse. So, so it's painful. It's painful. John, I'm a hundred points behind you, mate. I came up two places in the last round. It's going to be two every week, and by the last round, I'm going to pick you the post. It's not fair. Like it's just not fair. Gonna just. It's just going to happen. I can see it already. I can see it already. It's just not. I'm already yeah. starting to gain. As a, Scottish, as a Scottish man, though, as Scottish boys are getting points, so you have to respect it. I guess in terms of some news before we get into the reviewing the matches, um, France have had a positive, their head coach, positive case, all isolating. Just what we didn't want, but was a bit of a inevitable thing. Like this does happen in these tournaments in COVID. Um, They've got two weeks off, though, Zach, so hopefully they're all right. I don't know what well, the regulations are. So it says here that they just came out a couple of hours ago that the French assistant coach is now positive as well. So that leaves the question of if there's two, is there maybe a couple more coaches? How does that work then with the players? Is there be much kind of interaction between players and coaches? Are they almost trying to separate within the bubble, different bubbles? You know, it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens. Um, but two weeks for them is a godsend because they probably would not be able to play this weekend if it was. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. That makes It makes the next week's pod even more exciting because we'll have an idea of what's actually going on. So who knows, honestly. I, yeah, it's just crazy, isn't it? It's crazy times. You just cannot prepare for... Just, uh, yeah. f- fingers crossed, fingers crossed that. Cause we Hope for the best. We, we, do want every, we don't want guaranteed five-pointers. I have been playing for five-pointers before from an Ulster fan when they're playing to lose and stuff that they have a COVID outbreak, but... Not anymore. No, I want everyone to play every week. Um, we'll get on to the rugby. First game, Harvey, England against Italy. Big, big win for England. Did concede quite a few points as well. Are you happy on the whole or still a bit, few questions to ask? 
Um, I'm happy. I'm actually, I'm, I'm very happy with the result. Um, one of the biggest concerns from the first round against Scotland was how frail and how idealist, how island-like we looked when we had the ball in hand. Um, it was just a bit, we were just very stagnant. Play wasn't fluid. There was nothing. And albeit we did commit a lot of handling errors against Italy, the fact that we went out there, I think four playing at 10 was a huge addition to that. And we were just playing backdoor. We were playing different formations and stuff in possession. It was very exciting to see. And it was a good, it wasn't just kick chase the whole time. It was, it, there was a good amount of variety in our attack, which is something that I think we've needed. And I think it's something we can take into the next result, into the next game, because ultimately we use that game as just a bit of a ballpark game to practice those kind of things. Hopefully it'll, uh, it'll all come together against Wales. But yeah, I was very happy with so the result. It was all Ollie Lawrence's fault. So Eddie was right. It was Ollie Lawrence's issue. It wasn't necessarily Ollie Lawrence's fault. It was just, we work so much better in a system of Ford Farrell 10, 12. And it just happens to be that Ollie Lawrence is a 12 just isn't going to fit into the system. It doesn't work like that. Um, well, I know you've got something to say about that, but this is this is the question. You know, Matt Dawson came out BBC said that Farrell's hindering hindering England. He's hindering the England attack, and you got to ask yourself the question of, well, is it true? And if it is true, what do you do? What do you think, Harvey? Do you think he's hindering the English attack? I understand where he's coming from in the sense that you could probably find someone who paper-to-paper statistics is a better 12 than, uh, than Owen Farrell is. You could, you, it's probably not hard. You could probably find someone that's currently in the squad that's probably a better 12 than him. But like we always say about captains, it's not necessarily... You don't have... You know, people always say about Bowden Barrett, for example, who's obviously sort of in another level. He's not the best 10 in the world and he's not the best 15 in the world, but he's the best player in the world. Owen Farrell's not the best 10 in England and he's not the best 12 in England. But he needs to play. For his leadership, for the way he commands on the ball, just those little subtle things like I know he got away with it against Varney, but the little bounce and stuff like that, it just those little things and his leadership as a as a player for England is something that I don't think we would realise we miss until we took him outside. It's something that a lot of people will quite easily look at right now and think, you know what, he's not a highlight player. He does not have a hundred percent kicking ratio, and he's probably not up there with the with the leaders on in terms of touch kicking, but in terms of just kicking in general. But if you took him out the side, you would notice the difference. I 100% guarantee that. That's, and I think um, that's something that a lot of people a, big... a lot of people don't look that look at that from that angle. They just look at it I through just, the numbers. I just want to see what they're like without him to then yeah. know if that is the answer because it's all he's been for years. He he's never been out since he's really made his debut in 2012, and it's, it's clearly so Ford is a very good ten and is more exciting. And I'd say Ford's a better kicker out of hand. I think Ford's very underrated. Um, but at the same time, there is things I think George Ford does still need to improve on, like his defense. He's seen him getting bumped off for the the at least the at least try, and you know against bigger opposition, like when you've got Johnny Davis or James Lowe coming down your channel. Um, I think Farrell offers a bit more solidity when he's at ten, so I think that's why Eddie does kind of interchange them, especially for the bigger games. Um, but I do I just want to see maybe like different combinations there at 12 and 13 I know two Lange's on but I'd say when two Lange comes back that's when you start asking questions because for me Henry Slade's the best mm. the best the best one of the best England backs ball in hand he's got everything he has to play mm-hmm. Henry Slade has to play and it's just when two Lange comes back then 
who's going to who's going to drop out because I think the decision was made for him in the World Cup because Slade wasn't fully fit, but Slade fully fit. That's I don't know, Zach. What do you think about combination in the midfield there? Because I don't know if you're, you're a Slade fan as well, but I think he has to play. And then he's going to be 12, too long. He's 13. Um, yeah, I, I really don't think Farrell's his position's that certain. If he wasn't captain, I think he'd be dropping now. So that was my that was going to be my my point is if he wasn't captain, would he be dropped? Because Eddie made the comment a couple of weeks ago about how there's no such thing as inside center and and um, outside center. It's they're both just centers and they have to play the role interchangeably. But so there's two ways to take that. Is he expecting still a you know your generic twelve and then a generic thirteen kind of. And then they, and like for example, a Slade and the two Alangi, two very different players. Does he expect them to kind of interchange between 12 and 13? Or is he expecting two of similar players? Because I would argue Slade, even though he is different to Farrell, is a very similar player when you compare him to like a ball crashing 13, like a two Alangi or whatever. Um, so it's just kind of more interesting to see just that dynamic at play, like what Eddie Jones wants from his centre partnerships. If he does want different dynamics or if he wants the, kind of similar ball playing or more like if that makes sense he's very he's very horses for courses eddie he, mm. he picks his he picks especially his 10 12 13 based on opposition you've seen him in the world cup um against australia in a quarter final and then change it for the semi like not many coaches would do that when you win so big in a, in a quarter so he is very horse for courses depends on the team who he picks but but there's only, that's that then this is if that is the is that if that is the point then the question like then the problem is if you're just constantly playing the same center partnership you know then you do chuck in an Ollie Lawrence and the just the whole backline collapse because they're not used to playing together and you want to suit your backline against the opposition but you need to therefore have boys experienced and ready to kind of ready to go and just like Manny Tuolangi I just don't think you can rely on him anymore you know he's just he's injury prone. If he plays great, he's a fantastic player. But you gotta look, you gotta look beyond that, especially someone as young as Ollie Lawrence. I would like to see him in twelve, Slade thirty, just to see, just to see what happens. Um, just from a more future point of view, that would be would be my kind of my thing, you know. But I think I think it all, I think for Italy as well, they played some good rugby. They played. Yeah, well, a lot let's better. give Italy a bit of credit. Let's talk about it. Like, in terms. Coming out of the Ireland in the Six Nations. I mean, not surprised. <laughs> Benefit if there was relegation, Ireland would get relegated right now. But I think the only thing with Italy is that you can tell it's a very young side, which is the pro of well, they're a young side and they're going to grow with experience and learn from their mistakes. But also at the same time, right now they just can't compete, and obviously we we know that. Like just their kicking game was probably for me was awful. Um, just pointless kicks. It was, there was no kicks to compete. It was just putting it down Elliot Daly's throat half the time. Um, there was no sense of trying to gain position or um, territory. It was just kicking for kicking sec. And I just, as a former 10, I hate that sort of thing. You always have to put it down five-meter channel. You always have to be trying to find the space. And they just, your boy Garbisi just didn't, he just was not doing that. Like, And I know he's only 20 years old, 21, and he will, he will learn that. But just that... I got for me that's a big area of his game he has to improve in because that affects the whole team. He will you're, also look, well. you're also looking at it from relieving pressure point of view as well. They weren't even aiming for touch half the time. It was kind of just 
you know, when you're playing against the side that, and it's it's not unfair to say that obviously the players in Italy are not at the level of most of the other home nations. And when you're not giving yourself a break in those kind of situations and you're letting them play open play, you're just asking for trouble. Yeah. You're asking for trouble, which is why I think they concede so many because ultimately they're getting much, much better at the basics, much better. And each game, you start, each Six Nations, I should say, you start to see incremental improvements in certain things. And you can definitely say that through ball in hand and through certain little set plays, they are starting to build something and some sort of tactic there. You saw with the Montiuani try at the start. You know, that was clearly planned. They knew what they were doing from the start there. That was kind of, it was well-structured. The give and goes and everything, it just worked really well. It worked really well. And that's something we haven't seen a lot from Italy, but it's still just sparks. And they And like you said, even though they're getting better at the basics, things just like kicking just aren't there yet. The level isn't there. And you've got to be good at everything at an international level. Otherwise, you just get found out. I you think, just yeah. get found out. Yeah, like, in, I think on building on that, like, you know, Italy just aren't, they're not good enough compared to the other five nations. They're just not. So therefore, I think you've got to recognise that. Yes, actually, they're getting a lot better with playing, better running rugby, better with the hands. But if you're not as good as your opposition, then one way to kind of level the playing field is to just play the territory game, make them do the, have the unforced errors rather than, you know, you yourself, you know, and just, I feel like in the short term, if Italy want to see big improvements in the short term, I think if you sort out your kicking game um, to give your team, get your team playing in the right position or right places in the pitch, all of a sudden, you know, the games, you know, you're 10 points, you're within 10 points with 10 and 15 minutes to go. Um, just from a territorial point of view. So I think if you're going to basically this week or you get your week off, you're working on your kicking. Um, and hopefully we'll see a big improvement in two I weeks. Do, I do. I'd love to see like a kind of a promotion relegation game just to put the question to bed. So, right, Georgia, you can come up to Six Nations, but you have to beat Italy. Italy, destroy Georgia, shut everyone up, and they move on. Because I do think right now they would destroy Georgia pretty convincingly by 15, 20 points. I do think that would happen. And I, as an Irish fan, it's not the game you kind of want when you're on the ropes as Italy. I, I don't think Italy will win the Six Nations, but I do see building blocks and we're going to be positive about Italy this week and yeah. play to the building box. Just finally wrapping up on the England game, I just want a yes or a no. Johnny May's try caused a lot of controversy for jumping. Some people said he jumped into a tackle, jumped over a tackle, which if you're imagine in the middle of the pitch and you start leaping over players to then run through. I can see the debate. I can see it both sides, but just quickly, try yes or no. Uh, try for me. It's uh, for me. It's a try. He's diving for the line. He is every. I think he's entitled under the law to dive for the line in whatever shape he sees fit. You know, like there's another argument to be made here uh, very quickly, but you know, when it's really waterlogged the pitch, you can almost like slide from behind your five meter line and almost slide over. And that's a lot harder for players to, to stop you. So like, but you can't do that in the middle of the pitch. Like that's not, that's not allowed. You can't just slide, you know, into get the ball, you know what I mean? Like the halfway line. So for me, like when, when the try line's involved, you know, it's all to play for. So you have, try, to, try. You have to factor in context then obviously if you are in the middle of the pitch there's people left and right of you so flying up with your legs off to the side is never going to be a safe or something that you would do but when you're in a position like that where it's obvious that no one's on your left there's only one guy to your right and he's under you by the time you started the jump it's 
there's no, you sense. know, like fair, fair enough. If there's three people coming at him, and there's a likelihood that one of them's going to be underneath him by the time he lands, it's 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 not a try. But he's literally isolated one on one. There's no there's no danger in it. It was well executed, and it's a cracking try at the end of it. Yep. Yep. I agree. People need to stop being boring. Great finish. Yeah. World class. World class <laughs> player. Thanks for the points, Johnny May and the fantasy team. Yes. <laughs> moving World on point. to the moving on to the next game then. It was Scotland Wales. It was all there. Scotland, two from two. Start the hype. Start talking about slam. Start talking about Six Nation titles. And they just did it again. They just did classic Scotland <laughs> and didn't back up a really historic win with another one. And it's frustrating because I know they've got the ability to beat that Welsh team. And how much of it comes down to the red card or would they've won anyway because the red card was at a different stage of the game than it was with the Ireland Wales game? I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like, personally, I thought it was quite a harsh red. Um, TMO said it was a yellow referee overruled him which even though I think the ref is wrong I do like the fact that um, you know just for all the you know VAR people out there you know the referee is in charge of the pitch and his say goes rather than you know some wee boy with a screen telling him what to do if he's if he's seen it on the screen so I think I rate, I rate the fact the referee I think shout out to him the fact that he did take charge and his word was law I respect that um, but yeah um, I think for me it changes it changes the game um, psychologically. Um, when you're tired, you're playing with one less player defense wise. Like it's just intense, you know. Um, so for me, I think Scotland would have went on to win if they had 15 men on the pitch. Personal opinion. I don't know if you boys disagree, but um, yeah, yeah. What can you what can you say? Like per Scotland. <laughs> On the red, on the red itself, he got four weeks for it. Pierre Money only got three. I don't understand. Like, I, I think it's obviously, I think it's quite harsh, but it's one of those where rugby's still evolving, and we saw that we've seen this with other rules previously. And one thing that rugby is trying to do to make itself more mainstream is obviously really harness down and really hamper down on the safety aspect of things. And if they are clearly making an example of Peter Romani, and then the next week something exactly the same happens again. Yeah, it's just going to get worse and worse. Next one will get five weeks and it'll just get worse and worse and worse. The whole point is they're trying to make an example of these players and they, they need to get this out of the game. That's why they're doing it. Um, as much as you could boil it down to each specific example and we could sit here subjectively and argue if it's three, four, whatever weeks, the fact of the matter is it's the exact same issue that's happening and they're trying to get rid of it in the game. That's why they're doing what they're doing right now. Um, and I think, yeah, it'll only get worse for the next prop or whoever who goes and does it. It'll just get worse. It was a real game changer, but the frustrating thing is, before that, Scotland were, especially in the first half, absolutely on fire. That first try, Ali Price, the vision. Mm. We'll have a wee, we're gonna have a wee segment at the end, just our Lions watches. But Ali Price is on it definitely because that to Darcy Graham, who another his try scoring record for Scotland's absolutely insane. Every time he plays, he scores. Um, that brilliant, and you've seen touches from Hogg and. They really were on fire, and the big moment for me was when Cummings went in, and him and Gary Graham had a bit of a mix-up, and ended up being 
a penalty to Wales for a bit of crossing and that was a guaranteed try if they just worked that out and that would have put them out of touch. But you go down the pitch, Liam Williams scores, game's back on, red card. It changes very, very quickly in Test Rugby. Um, and Scotland just need to learn how to manage those big game moments better in terms of just batting down the hatches sometimes and holding on to a lead and preserving it a bit more. Yeah, like we chatted, we chatted about it last week, and I think I think I don't want to blow my own trumpet, you know, but like I was right. <laughs> like Scotland aren't clinical. Um, they can, they're like they're just like Liverpool, have all the possession, playing good football, just can't score. <laughs> you know, like it's the same thing. They just can't score. Um, the twenty-two entry into the twenty-two to points ratio is still not good enough. Um. And yes, play, Scotland, you could argue, played the better rugby, but then Wales, were at the end of the day, they won the game because they had better management of the game. You know, they took their chances. They were clinical. Um, so going forward, obviously Scotland, like all credit to them, they play, they're playing great rugby. There's a lot of potential young side, a lot of Lions players, but they just need to get more clinical. Um, how you go about that, I honestly don't know. But maybe psychologically, um, haven't scored very many tries before. <laughs> I think they need to... They just need to kind of get over that. I don't know. I don't know how, but that's what I would say. Well, they scored free. They scored free tries at the weekend. Like they're still they're scoring, scoring tries. It's just they're scoring, they're scoring tries, but just like sloppiness. It's it's sloppy. Sloppiness is the opposite of clinicalness. Clinicalness. Word, I don't know. I think. I think the key thing you see, obviously, like you said, Scotland may have gone on to win the game at the time at which he got the red card. But looking at the timeline, obviously. The game was very even when he actually went off and they'd already lost the lead that they'd gained in the first half anyway. And I think Scotland would be looking at the game as it was, you know, you can't blame the red card for that. In my opinion, the way the trajectory of the game was going is Wales were bringing themselves more into it. If anything, Scotland should be more annoyed about the way they lost the lead and the way that they kind of taken the momentum out themselves already. You could say that, you know, the, the kind of dagger in the heart was the red card, but it all well, comes down to, like you said, yeah. the big point swing and the fact that Scotland just aren't clinical enough. They just aren't, they're not mature enough in that situation yet where they've got a team on the back and they don't know how to finish them off. They don't know how to do it. Be interesting though, just to see if, if they kind of learn from that psychologically and it might be a blessing in disguise later down yeah. the line for the likes of World Cups and stuff because Scotland have now so, announced themselves that no one wants to play Scotland. I'm terrified to go to Murrayfield as an Irish fan down the line. But they hopefully it's more of a learning curve than anything, and they start they get back on the bandwagon um, in a few weeks' time. But on the flip side of that, can we start speaking about Wales? Because he well, like clearly the way he plays is that he soaks up the opposition, and then they only need a few chances, and he backs Wales to be clinical, and they are clinical. Every time they've had a sniff, they've scored. And one man's at the centre of that, Louis Rizamit. He kind of shows what Wales is all about in terms of give them a chance, they'll score. Halfpenny always nails them. And I mean, if you, if, you are, if you are Josh Adams right now, you're absolutely kicking yourself because of his little COVID mark and all that jazz. He just paid, like, he's just opened the door to Rizamit, who, to be perfectly honest, never mind like starting for Wales. You know, I know maybe it's premature for Lions chap, but like, um, like for he won the game for Wales. You know what I mean? It's probably an element of the fact that Wales Wales weren't amazing. They were, you know, were soaking up possession, very PVAC kind of style, but moments of brilliance. 
just won won the game for Wales. And at the end of the day, that's what international rugby is. It's just those moments of brilliance and tight games that that are the difference. But what, like nineteen years old? Like that's insane. Like he's two, he's three years younger than me. It's ridiculous. Like I hate yeah. that. He just, I absolutely hate it. I think he just turned he just, twenty, hasn't yeah, he? Just turned twenty uh, at the start of February, so okay. he's still, I think, eligible for the under twenties campaign. Yeah. <laughs> no way. So, but he, that's, that's it's crazy that's to think, isn't it, though, that kind of Wayne Pivak's had it sorted this whole time. He just, you know, he's just waiting for that 20-year-old wonder kid to go sit on the wing for him and score more of his tries. He is no, otherwise, he would, have, he would have smashed everything. But um, We'll look back on this. I'm telling you, when Wales start getting on the bandwagon and they do well in the World Cup and stuff, we'll look at those first two games where Pivak was under pressure and there was two red cards. And they just went, there you go, Pivak. There's some more confidence. We'll give you confidence. Because you don't give Wales confidence. Because now they're just going to kick on. And I think they're developing into a decent side. But Scotland we... and Ireland uh, should have beat them. Simple as that. And lack of discipline cost both of them. But credit to Wales. They've, they took the chances. And that's second try for Zamet. The first one was pretty basic finish. The second one was just a world-class finish. Not many chip hog and gather it and destroy him. absolutely burnt him but for me the moment was his banana kick under pressure yeah to send it into the 22 that shows me you're an international rugby player because you can have flashy wingers that score tries and a lot of young guns get hype but doing the basics like that puts you on the map and you're right Zach that he's he's one to keep an eye on definitely for Lions he is he is there's Maybe if you're going to be really pessimistic and, you know, the glass is half empty, Wales beat two teams with 14 men um, and they just scraped past teams with 14 men. Is the is the crack still there for Pivax? I don't know. I, I suppose we'll find out kind of when they play France. Um, it's kind of like the litmus test at the moment for every team. Um, but I, I know we'll get onto the Ireland game, but you can tell that Pivak is taking, Pivak, Pivak, I don't know, is taking the team in a direction. And you compare that to Ireland, and you're just left wondering, like, you just like, a bit like Tell said, I feel like this is kind of the break that Pivak's teams need needed, and hopefully he can take this and springboard from it now and go and beat a fully strength 15 man side. It's all upstairs. Oh. It's all mental. Yeah. Now that he's that mental confidence, they're gonna fly. That's it. Psychologically, it's huge. And like, full credit to Wales. And like, Wales just, you know, it's their national national sport. You want to see them do well. Um, I can't believe Alan Jones is still going. Like he's just <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's just ridiculous. That's, that should not be allowed. Um, but yeah, like look at Wales. We'll see, we'll see what happens in two weeks' time, you know. But what about that final play of the game? It's caused a bit of controversy on social media. It looks actually, if you watch it back, it looks like Liam Williams touches it back and then tackles Hogg. So Timo, it happened that at that pace. No one really noticed it at the time, but it did look a wee bit dodgy, and it was kickable range for Russell. I don't know if these boys watched it back, but it's one of well, those things. Gone down far away, far away, Zach. No, like it's one of those things of for me that shows a lack of bottle um, from the referee, uh, lack of kind of just calmness to be like right we're just going to check this because obviously like Wales teams celebrating they've just won and the Scottish team like emotions are flying everywhere for me it's a lot for me to be fair the referee had a good game up until that point because he should have had the composure to be right we're just that was a bit weird we're just going to go on the team just to double check everything's fine here because that's a game defining moment you see it with Nigel Owens in the European champion 
Champions Cup final. You know, was the ball, did the ball cross over the posts after 80 minutes? You know, and just like having the bottle, having the composure to ask the question to the TMO. You know, what I mean, like it's just we need, we just need more Nigel Owens. You know, um, but yeah, it should have been, it should have been looked at. In my opinion, you know, it's a big, big match moment. But here, what can you do? Um, in my opinion, it shouldn't have even got to that stage. Um, me and Telfer having a bit of a deep conversation after the game about the way Finn Russell played in that, in the lead up to that, um, in the final play of the game. And I feel like Duhan should have been released a lot earlier. And I feel like the issue wouldn't have even arised if Ben Russell would have actually played the play like he should have. Um, I think um, as much as amazing offload it was, just wasn't... I don't know. I feel like the issue it's, could have been avoided. If you do, watch, is, if, yeah. if you do watch it back, it, was, it looked like it was a free V2. Russell obviously went in himself, then got back up and brought the two players in and threw it in the back door, which was absolutely unbelievable. Um, which would have been if that if Duhan scored that would have been absolute scenes for Russell. That is highlight reel, Gatland, everyone's laughing. But as you said, Harvey, I I do agree with your point, but at the same time, you have to keep the flair factor because if we want more people to watch rugby, we need Finn Russell just allow him to do things like that. Because no one else in the Six Nation does that on eighty minutes. No one. I'd argue, I'd argue Duhan at full tilt, 50 metres out, is a much more of an exciting prospect than a little offload to someone who stood still. But, but yeah. we, we talked about the minibus last week. How do you, how do you stop the minibus? Turns out you just... You, you, you tap his ankles. the <laughs> tyre. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, that was a quality tackle. That was a quality tackle. But yeah, fair play Wales, fair play Wales and any Welsh fans out there, we're, we're starting to hype up Wales a wee bit, so there you go, you've yeah. got your segment, we're not all Irish, English and Scottish based, um, I guess we will get on to Ireland, we've left a bit of time for it Ireland against France only two points in it um, it's a frustrating one Zach I just want to start with first of all what, how in your opinion as an Irishman what is Andy Farrell's philosophy. How does Andy Farrell want to play rugby? I don't know. I, I haven't seen it yet. He's not I don't know. his stamp on this team to say. Because you've seen it in the early France cycle, even at the 2019 World Cup, they had a lack of discipline, but they had unbelievable players. You could see they wanted to play a fast, full band of rugby with offloads and stuff. And they just needed a few extra bits of the jigsaw and they're starting to put them in now. And they still need a wee bit more. Uh, like, to be honest, I don't know what I, I don't know. I just don't know. I honestly, we were chatting about it in, in one of the group chats. Like, I just don't know what they're trying to do. I don't know. Like, it's just like it's going out there and just seeing what happens. Uh, maybe it's just play what you see in front of you. But I don't, I don't, I don't know that. Like, there's no, there's no philosophy. I don't know. There is a style. Is there a style? You know what it looks like? It looks like they've taken a defensive coach and stuck him in as a head coach and say, "Have a go." Oh wait, that's exactly what they've done. You know what I mean? Like. Oh man, it's just you like that line, didn't you, Zach? The way the... Yeah, it was good. That was a good line. Was that your line, Telf? Sorry if I took it from you. Was it was it my... uh, no, I sent it in. And you okay, sorry. Not... I'll give you full credit. That was Alistair Telfer. Um, Thank you. But it's... What, what do you think about Andy Farrell? <laughs> what do you think about Andy Farrell demanding more spark from his backs? It. I don't know. Has Has Andy Farrell told Ireland that off the top of a line out, Billy just send it into the sky? And do that every single time because what are Earls and Lou supposed to do when all they're told to do is chase kicks or kick it and chase it? 
I don't know. Honestly, like it's just it's all over the place. Like I actually, I like genuinely, I don't have a clue what is. I just don't know what's going on. And you know what the worst thing is about it? It's the fact that France didn't put us away. We were a team that should have been thumped. You know, Kelleher's try was pure fluke. <laughs> like, you know, we, like that was just that was just a fluke. And like, it's just for me, like, first of all, no offense, Billy Burns, but you're not good enough. Um, you're just not good enough. Um, Ross Byrne came on and he looked much better. But even then, at Ross Byrne is not Ireland's answer to the ten jersey. Um, this is just classic Ireland. It's Ireland just in the cycle, just repeating itself. It just doesn't. It has big players and they leave a vacuum because they don't deal with it. Um, and that's that's the case with Johnny Sexton. Like we do not have an answer to Johnny. Well, we do. You know, he's currently chilling in Leinster, but like um, we have an answer to him. But just I'm not saying start him. I'm not saying start Harry Byrne. But I'm saying we need to start investing. He didn't even bring Craig Casey off the bench. I know it might have been a big game. Didn't want to risk him or whatever. But like Gibson Park is not good enough either. I, I'd say I'd say it's a bit harsh in Gibson Park. He had a good solid game and he's a good solid player, but we need to look at Irish rugby in... Joe Schmidt's changed Irish rugby. Joe Schmidt turned us into the nearly men, into actually winning things and thinking that we can beat anyone, which is... I know it ended badly for Joe Schmidt, but thank you for giving us that hope. And I just don't mm. want to go back to kind of the... I call it the Shane Horgan era. This is it. That is exactly it. For triple crowns. That's it. That is exactly it. You know what it feels like? I feel like I'm watching an Eddie O'Sullivan side. That's what I feel like I'm watching right now. You know, kind of like early years of Declan Kidney, or no, the kind of the Grand Slam year, if you want to leave that out. Like Declan Kidney, Eddie O'Sullivan, Shane Horgan, Dennis Hickey, just like, just bang average Ireland. And yes, you know, they might be like one big team a year. You know, it might be, they might win the Triple Crown the odd time. But just like, that's just not the way to go about it. Rugby is in cycles. The snake, we're currently in the kind of, we're not getting the middle stage of a World Cup cycle. And like Ireland have no answers. They have absolutely nothing. I'm personally not one. I'm not big, especially when it comes to rugby and football. I'm not one to just sack people just because you're doing really bad. But genuinely, that's a discussion that needs to be had by the RFU because I genuinely don't think that we can give Farrell any more time. He's just not good enough. Back, I back to the original point, I want, want to ask you, Harvey, this because I like, I like, I always like your views from you don't care about Irish rugby winning. So I really like, because you can see it from the <laughs> <that we> can't. <laughs> for example, take Craig Casey, for example. I, yeah. I'm very nerdy. I watch a lot of rugby. I, I've been watching a lot of monster games just to see how good this kid is. And this kid is the real deal. I think he's yeah, better. Than, I think he's better than Murray right now. He's showing more. He's, he's got something about him, which is, he's just, he's a fighter. He's passionate. He's more than just a good rugby player. I can see he's got the mental side to it. You don't even bring him on. For from your perspective, do you even have you even heard about any of these players in terms of oh I might think they're good? Or do you just look at the Ireland team and just see these names that you've you, A, you don't know if they're any good, and B, you probably don't even know what ability they are or what age they are. Most most of the most of the knowledge that I pick up from the grassroots and that kind of youth level and people breaking through that youth level comes from you two me listening right like i just did for the last five minutes right there you know you don't they, these players don't get the kind of level of exposure that they probably deserve we're talking about like harry burn craig casey for example who your two main ones you're talking about mainly who like are knocking on the door of international caps yet 
Like, where where are they? Where are they? And and I think it comes down for, and I know this is a very abstract idea. I spoke to you about it a couple of days ago. Um, I think it comes down to just an institutional level for Irish rugby. I feel like, and as much as I'm not going to say this in the most, you know, nice way. Go for it, go for it. Ireland needs to stop thinking it's a big nation. Ireland needs to start acting a bit more like a Wales or a Scotland because ultimately they're going to surpass you. The centrally, co- the centrally contracted idea and the, the idea of players only being able to showcase themselves within 60 players within four provinces is an outdated idea that needs to be scrapped, in my opinion. It doesn't have to be fully scrapped. You can find some sort of compromise to it where potentially you put in some sort of, I know we were chatting about it, still, some sort of cap limit where after a certain amount of caps, you're allowed to go off and play wherever you want. For example, for example, say Conor Murray goes plays Rassing or whatever. Um, and then you have Craig Casey playing week in, week out, no matter the time, no matter the occasion, playing for Munster. And then potentially he gets a whole lot more exposure than he's already got, and you see him play for Ireland. My, my, I want to make it more of a free market for these players in Ireland. I feel like if you can, if you can bring them into a, a, a league or whatever that is well, much more exposed, and this can be for the experienced players, somewhere to go on you know, holiday, earn the big bucks, come back potentially, or just go out and enjoy their rugby somewhere else. Or it's somewhere where the home players, you know, your Sexton and your Murrays, can still play at Munster and Leinster and keep the sides as competitive as possible. But the youngsters, the guys below them, your Ross Burns, your Harry Burns, your Craig Casey's, whoever you want to mention, are allowed to go out, play in an uber-competitive league, say the Premiership, for example, play there, get the exposure, get the experience, and not have that decision when they get to the age of 22, 23, where they're like, right, do I go back there and have to be understudy again and focus on my international career, or do I just wholeheartedly dive into the into the you know club competitions and nine times out of ten everyone's going to pick Ireland obviously that's just the culture of international rugby that's the way it works so these players are forced they're, they're literally shoehorned into a career they're shoehorned into it they don't have a choice of where they're going to go and I feel like when you're shoehorning you're creating projects people like Gibson Park who you can argue after the first couple of games potentially hasn't been worth the four-year five-year investment you've put into him so far Yes, he's going to get time. But, you know, we've got Craig Casey knocking on the door who you're not going to put in because you put so much investment, resources, time, money, whatever, into bringing Gibson Park over. Same for James Lowe, potentially. You know, there's these players that I think you're, you're creating such a shoehorn and such a capped area to play in. It's so hard to actually get a true understanding of the ability <laughs> and the potential of the players around you. And I feel like that needs to, something needs to change. Something needs to change. I fully, I fully back that. And the, the way I want to see it go is the 60-cap rule. When yeah. you have 60 caps, you can play for Ireland outside of Ireland. And I want to flip that on its head. And I want the similar rule to Wales, where Louis Rizamit is allowed to play at Gloucester in his younger development. So I think maybe, say, your first professional contract. So if you've signed a professional contract, whatever, you can stay at that club as long as you can. So say Harry Burns not getting games and all, he's in the academy or he's just played for Leinster or he's in a development. A lot of, a lot of the contracts nowadays are one-year development, two-year senior contracts. I know Ulster doing that. If you're in that development year of your contract, you should be allowed to go and approach other clubs and play in the premiership. Louis Rizam is a perfect example of someone who's just been allowed to flourish away from Wales and he's showing the benefit he can then bring back to Wales. I know that's another debate about when Zama is forced to come back, is that good for him? Should he not just stay when he's tearing it up in the Premiership? But I agree, and I think it shouldn't just be your sex is not allowed to leave. I think it, sh- it, sh- it should only really be those middle players 
that that should stay kind of your your 20 to 40 capped players should be staying in the provinces, keeping the culture. But the young ones, your Craig Casey's Harry Burns can go and your older ones, Sexton, etc., can go. And do something like Wales say, where you can go and get your cap while you're still in England, for example. But then, you know, you still have some sort of loyalty potentially in your contract where you do have to come back eventually. Something like that, you know. Yeah, like, to be honest, there's, I think there's that side of it, but there's also got to look the side of it of, if okay, listen. If we have do have a centrally contracted system, why are we not? Why are we not using it, mm. like fully using it? Because we're not. Because you have three roughly competitive promises provinces, and then you have Connacht. And now Connacht are more competitive, but at the same time, what happened to like sharing the load? You know what I mean? Kind of like sending Joey Carberry to Munster. Like, why are we not? Like, I just I don't know. I just. Lot, me, that, that's always caused issues where it's, it's yeah. So if not gonna, I mean. that that's why we have to do what you guys are saying because if we're not going to utilize centrally contracted system and how it works, then we need to adapt basically the Wales approach, which to be honest is a pretty sweet deal because you imagine Craig Casey playing in I would argue the most competitive Northern Hemisphere league, um, probably one of the most competitive leagues in the world. You know, even if it only is for Worcester Warriors or whatever, or Seal Sharks, that's amazing experience, good competitive rugby. And you see it with Louis Rees Um, and other, you know, Harry Williams. Well, please, he's English, but like he could have played for Wales, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, like for me, the Six Nations is not going well. Obviously, I'm sad. We've chatted about like, but, the, but at the same time, like these are the cracks that we've been chatting about on this pod for months now. Um, and nothing is being done about it. There's no glimmer of hope. I don't know, Telford, if you think there is a glimmer of hope. I um, I see the reason it frustrates me is because I see the hope. I see these young players, Harry Byrne, Craig Casey, Ryan Baird. Um, I'm seeing a lot of loose free, for example, I think are all good enough to start for Ireland. And for example, Ryan Baird did the he did the as long with Harry Byrne, they did the they did the warm-up for the French game. Well, that's a great experience, isn't it? Doing a warm-up in an empty stadium. Like, <laughs> they're just so far behind. That is what they think is a good idea. And then integrate them on later down the tournament, probably in Italy and stuff. But now you can't play this experimental team against England. But I will forgive Farrell if he throws on a Harry Byrne on the bench or Craig Casey against Italy. But if he doesn't do that, I think he has an issue. He has a lack of trust in the players below the Joe Schmidt era, and a reason for that is because Farrell was very much involved in the Joe Schmidt era. He was his understudy. He learned everything from Joe Schmidt. He kind of, he's seen these players on the level that they can get to. He's seen Sexton and Murray and Lions tours. He's got a close relationship with them. And he as well can't let go. You need someone to come in with a fresh look on things, looking at investing in young players, People like Stuart Lancaster, Leo Cullen, names like that. I floated, I floated those names uh, at the weekend, like, and I, I fully stand by it. I fully stand by it, like, anyway. But you're right, tough. You're right. That was kind of fresh approach. You know, Joe Smith. Now, Joe Smith kind of came from, isn't it? Correct me if I'm wrong here, but he came from Leinster and then slaughtered into Ireland. Um, you know that kind of having, so you, you know the culture of Irish rugby at a provincial level and then taking that experience and you know one of the best teams in, in the world at Leinster and then bringing it in, onto the international stage um, I think that's the, that's the approach that kind of seems to work in terms of kind of transition 
um, this transition just hasn't doesn't seem to work. And like for me, if I'm Andy Farrell, if your team doesn't start playing the way you want them to, whatever that looks like, and to be honest, whatever that looks like, um, World Cups in two and a half years or a year and a half. Um, Farrell's just scared though because he's got to no, the line. So what's he going to do against Italy? He's going to play Sexton, Murray. He's going to play. He's going to play a boring, boring side with aging players and. For me, like, it's, like it's, it's. I think results need to happen now for him, but they need to be results that are done in such a way that they're small results, not even wins, but just kind of like giving the cases your birds a like a chance to kind of integrate themselves in the squad. For me, that's a good result for Farrell because he is looking to the future and he is this kind of long, slow process. I think he wants results now, but he's, it's just he's just going about it all the wrong way. The fact he didn't bring Casey on shows me the approach that he's taken because other coaches would start him when Murray's yeah, on. It's a joke. Like, it is but, a joke. As, but as Harvey said, the problem is that these boys aren't starting at the provinces, so why should they start for their country? Because they're blocked because of other players. So it's true. It's, true. It, it's a deeper there's, issue. There's the debate on the surface and then there's the deeper debate. But on the flip side of that, just quickly touching on France... France are an exceptional side who are further yes. down the line. We're getting annoyed because two years ago we didn't invest in young players. They did two years ago invest in young players. And they are truly paying for it now. It's not just their backs now, it is their forwards as well. Olivon, their back row, they're, they're exceptional world class players now from 1 to 15. And they will be annoyed and then put us away further, but they've proven that France can now win ugly as well as yep. hammering teams, which is scary. And France haven't won in Dublin for years. For them, that was their twiggers. And in terms of Scotland, you know, that kind of getting, it's just about, it's about getting over that line, that psychological line for them. Like, okay, and like that'll, that'll, you know, it may not seem like a big deal, but like that's a huge psychological boost for them um, going forward. Now, obviously COVID and stuff, you know, might, might affect it, but... Um, at the moment, the slam is on for France, and they're the team to beat. It'll be an interesting game. Wales France will be interesting, won't it? Yeah, but that's, I suppose that's previews for next week. <laughs> I think that's that is the way to leave it. That in terms of we're now two weeks in, are France the favourites from you three boys? Two boys, some men You can never write off England, you know, sneaking in the back door. Um, <laughs> no matter how much cracks there may be. <laughs> Um, yeah. it's, it's France to lose, it's France to lose isn't it? you know like it'd be, it'd be fascinating watching France Wales for me that's the test for Wales are they really kind of where we're thinking they're at you know um, like it's, it's, it's the it's, final round game so it could be an extremely interesting game for the slam literally at the could time be the game for the slam hey, we could ruin Wales's hopes and just batter them next couple of weeks that'd be good it's all fascinating and then just finally I think we kind of have said it we're going to start doing this every week but your, your Lions watch for this week, Lurie Zamet. Is there anyone else? For me, I think Ali Price has put himself in there as well. Those two for me were top of the Lions watch. Obviously, Hogg and stuff, outstanding, already on it. But maybe I'd add Anthony Watson in there as well. But I'm going to add Anthony Watson in there. I've always not been a massive big fan of Anthony Watson. I don't know what it is, but my word. I know like Italy aren't the best opposition, but that step and that pace, like I can understand why he'd start in the wing. Like, whoa. so he's my Lions watch for the week. Yeah, I think I agree with you, Telf, Louis Samet, and uh, Ali Price. 
says it all. Give the kids a chance and they might do Lou it. And as Brian Driscoll said, though, sometimes you need an injury. You need Josh Adams to go to his kid's gender reveal and get caught out with COVID. You need little moments like that. And maybe it's really sad, but maybe we just need a few injuries. Which is the frustrating thing because you literally had the nine and ten engine, they still didn't do it. <laughs> I think that, that, that does sum it up. You need about three or four injuries to see it, but you do need a bit of luck to get your break to then shine. But we'll get on, we'll preview the games next week. Thanks for coming on. Um, looking forward to scrapping for the wooden spoon, and we'll catch you next time. Uh, positive vibes anyway. Cheers, boys. Yeah, take it easy, sir. Ciao. Catch you next time. Thank <laughs> you.